Well, good evening, everyone. It's really good to see you all. Thank you all for uh, coming out tonight. As Nick mentioned, this is the second in our series looking at the feasts of the Lord. God told Israel that every year when they came into the land that he was giving them, they were to hold seven festivals or feasts. And during these festivals, as Nick said, they would stop the work that they were doing and they would take time to remember the Lord's work. Last week, we were thinking about the first two feasts, the Passover and Unleavened Bread, which are all about remembering how God took his people out of slavery in Egypt, how he redeemed them from a life of hopelessness. And the next festival, which took place just a few days later, is the one that we're looking at tonight, the Feast of First Fruits. We read all about it in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. So we're going to read together from chapter 23 and verse 9. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, we're at page 101. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 9. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. And say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb a year old without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma. And the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. We're going to think about this festival in three parts this evening. Firstly, what was the Feast of First Fruits? What took place during this annual festival? Secondly, why did Israel have to keep this feast? What was this feast all about? And thirdly, what does the New Testament say about the Feast of First Fruits? What does it have to do with us tonight? So, firstly, what was the Feast of First Fruits? The first two festivals were all about remembering where they had come from, what God had brought them out of. But first fruits was all about where God had brought them to, the promised land, a country of their very own. He had given them everything in that place that they needed to have life to the very full. This was their national inheritance, passed down from generation to generation. Every family was given a piece of land that was fertile and fruitful and would give them all the crops that they would ever need. They would be able to make all the bread that they could ever want, which was a far cry from the life that they had had before. Because not only had they never had a land of their own, but they had never had an inheritance. The only thing that they inherited was their slavery. So on the Sunday after the first day of unleavened bread, God told them to celebrate what he had provided for them, to celebrate the new life that they were now enjoying. But what exactly did they have to do? Well, in the springtime, before the first harvest of the year, the barley harvest, 
when they plowed their fields and they had sowed the seed and those first green shoots had started poking their way through the soil, the people had to take a sheaf or a bundle of those fresh green crops, those first fruits, and give it to the Lord. They had to take them to the priest and then the priest presented it to God on their behalf. Along with the sheaf, we're told that they offered a lamb as a sacrifice, some fine flour mixed with oil, and a cup of wine. But the central focus of this feast was giving God these first sheaves. But why? It sounds very strange to us today, doesn't it? What was all of this about? Why did they have to do this thing every year? Why was it so important? Well, there were two main reasons. It was so that Israel would remember God's blessings and respond to them. The primary reason for offering first fruits was to remember what God had blessed them with. They hadn't got any of this by themselves. He had given them all the fullness of this land. He was their provider. He had prepared this place for them to live in. He had made it possible for them to be there. This was a free gift of God's love for his people. Without him, they wouldn't have had this incredible possession. They wouldn't have had all these fruitful fields that would sustain their future. Without him, they would still have been making bricks for Pharaoh. And it was important that his people never forgot that. That's why he gave these feasts in the first place. Because he knew that once they stopped circling around the wilderness and they settled down and they got comfortable, before long they would forget all about him. Before long they would start going their own way instead, which he knew would be a disaster for them. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is what he warns them. He says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you do not build and houses full of all good things that you do not fill and cisterns that you do not dig and vineyards that you do not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care. Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Their purpose in that land was to live a whole different kind of life. It was so that they could have life to the full, a life full of fruitfulness as his people. So his redeemed people needed to always remember him. First Peter says that those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight are also redeemed. We have been ransomed. We have been set free from the curse of sin. Much in the same way that Israel was ransomed. Last week we saw how they had been set free from their slavery by the blood of a lamb. God's judgment passed over them when he saw the lamb's blood. And Peter tells us that we have been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. He says he's like a lamb without blemish or spot. And we haven't done this thing for ourselves. He has done this for us. Instead of a barren and fruitless and hopeless life, 
instead of a life enslaved to sin, there is a whole different landscape for us now. We can have life to the very full. We can know our creator for ourselves. We can have a relationship with him. That's why Christ went to the cross. So I wonder, do we take time to remember what he has done for us? If we don't, then it's not very long before we stop living in the good of what he has achieved for us. It's not long before we start to settle down. And if we're not careful, we can settle down so much and become so comfortable that we start forgetting all about being his people. And we start doing our own thing instead. And we can end up wasting the potential of this redeemed life that cost the Lord Jesus his own blood. Can I suggest that one really practical way to remember the Lord is to remember him at the start of every week. The Lord told them to offer first fruits on the Sunday after Passover, the first day of the week. And on the first day of the week, the Lord has told his church to remember him in the breaking of bread. To meet together as believers and just very simply remember what he has done for us. He has given us a very simple feast so that we don't forget him. Because all of us very easily get tangled up in all the messes of life. We have so many other things that are vying for our attention. We have so many other things to be thinking about. So many other things to be worrying about. So the Lord Jesus has said, do this. Do this very simple thing. Just taking bread and wine in remembrance of me. Can I encourage you, if you're a Christian, and if you don't already come to the breaking of bread service here, then please come along. It's not some sort of ritualistic thing. It's just a straightforward time thinking about the Lord who has given us our future. And it also helps us to keep remembering him for the rest of the week as well. Considering all that he suffered to bring us redemption, I don't think it's very much to ask. So that's the first reason that God instituted this festival, so that they would remember. And secondly, hand in hand with remembering God's blessings, was responding to God's blessings. They had to respond appropriately by giving him the first of what they had and by saying, thank you. As the provider of all these things, God deserved first place. He deserved the top priority. And giving to him, giving back to him the first of what the land provided was just a very simple token of that. They didn't eat any bread or use any of the grain until they had first given to him. And that was good practice. It was important for them to get into the habit of prioritizing the Lord. That was the first commandment for Israel, that they were to have no other gods before him. Nothing else was to take his place. I wonder, is he first in our hearts? I wonder, do we give him preeminence? Is he our top priority? Do we prioritize him in our decisions? Do we give him his place and ask him first 
what he wants. Before we make important choices in our lives about what job we should take or who we should marry or where we should live or what school our children should go to. When it comes to things like that, do we even give God a second thought? What about what we do with our money? I wonder, does he have any say over that? I wonder if we put him first in our finances. Do we give back to him as he has blessed us? And what about our free time? Now don't get me wrong, all of us need time to ourselves. All of us need time to relax and unwind, and the Lord knows that. But do we ever shut him out of our free time altogether? I'm going through a Bible reading plan at the minute because my, life, my reading life has been shockingly bad over the past few months. So I decided I really needed some kind of structure. So I set up a daily reading plan on my phone. And there's quite a lot of reading to get through every day. So if I get a really quiet spell at my desk and work and there's nothing else to do, or if I have to go out to the bank to lodge some money and I'm standing for ages in a queue, I'll usually try during those times to get some of that day's reading done. I'll try to use whatever scraps of time I might have, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if I'm being honest about it, sometimes that's all God gets. He gets the scraps. He gets the disposable time when I wouldn't be doing anything else anyway. It's a whole different story when I'm faced with the choice at night of going upstairs for half an hour to be alone with the Lord or to put on one more episode of whatever box set I'm watching. And that's not giving God first place. That's not giving the Lord what he deserves. Prioritizing God doesn't come naturally to any of us. So we have to be very intentional about it. We have to get into the habit of it. And that's one of the reasons that the breaking of bread is so important for Christians. It's a very literal way of saying, Lord, I am putting you first this week. I am prioritizing you right at the very start. Now, trust me, I understand how hard it can be to get out of bed that early when it's one of your only days off during the week when you would probably far rather have an extra hour's sleep. But the thing is, God doesn't settle for second place. Come and put him first. And just very simply thank him for what he's done. And that's the second aspect of responding to God's blessings. God just wanted his people to come and say thank you. It's important to thank people whenever they have done something for you, isn't it? Whenever you forget to thank somebody for something that they have done, it's really ungrateful. Dylan is having his first birthday this month and I am still sending out thank you cards to people who gave us presents when he was born. So I promise if you haven't got yours yet, it's in the post. And Israel had a lot to be thankful for. Try to imagine for a moment that you were a farmer in Israel during those days. Nick's already helped us to enter into that mindset. Just imagine that you were relying on your land to provide for your family. It was literally a matter of life and death. You would plow the ground and you would sow the seed and then you would wait. 
you would just wait to see what happened. And in the back of your head, you couldn't help wondering, what if the crop doesn't take this year? What if the ground doesn't give us what we need? Famine was always one of their biggest fears. Everything depended on seeing those first fruits rising out of the ground. So just imagine how you would have felt when one day you walked out your front door and you looked across your field and instead of just that plain soil, the first green had appeared. Imagine the relief of knowing that the seed had taken root. Knowing that you had nothing to worry about. Because whenever you saw those first signs of life, you knew for certain that there was going to be a harvest. God just wanted them to thank him for that. Whenever you forget to say thank you, one of the things that happens is you very quickly start to devalue what you should be thankful for. You very quickly start taking it for granted. I wonder if we ever take God's blessings for granted in our own lives. I think that if we trusted in Christ whenever we were young, whenever we were children, that can happen very easily because we've never known what a life without God is like. And God knew that before very long, Israel would have that exact problem. After those first generations died out, the generations that followed who had never known what it was like to be in captivity and had never had to wander around the desert, those generations had never known anything but the promised land. They couldn't help but take their blessings for granted. So they had to be encouraged to always be grateful. And this is how they said, thank you to God. The priest took the sheaf in his hands and he waved it before God. Which again sounds like a very strange thing to do. What was all that about? Did something magical or something supernatural happen whenever it was waved? Well, it was actually something far more basic than that. Whenever Dylan wants to get my attention, if he has something in his hand, like the remote control or one of his toys, and he's really excited about it, and he wants me to see what he's got, then this is normally what he'll do. He'll wave it in my face. Sometimes he even hits me in the face with it. If he waves it, that is his way of saying, just look at this. Isn't this great? And that is the idea. It was Israel saying, look at this. Isn't this amazing? Look at what this means. It means that the harvest is on its way. Are we as grateful to God as that? Do we see the Lord's work as something amazing? Do we see the Lord's work as something to be enthusiastic about? Well, we should, because it cost the Lord Jesus everything. If we're honest, our attitude is more often like, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is Christ took the judgment of God for each of us. We have so many reasons tonight to be thankful. And what the New Testament says about this feast 
shows us exactly what we have to be thankful for. So thirdly, let's see what the New Testament says about the feast of first fruits. The New Testament talks about first fruits very explicitly. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, or the first fruits of those who have died. The Apostle Paul was steeped in the Old Testament. He knew every detail of these feasts inside and out. And whenever he encountered Christ, he began to see that the blessings of this ancient festival helped to illustrate an even fuller blessing that came true in Christ. Very pointedly, he says, Christ is the first fruits. But what does he mean by that? Well, just like the seed that went into the ground had died and come up again, the Lord Jesus also rose into a new life. And he rose into a new kind of life, a resurrected life, a life that was as different from the old kind of life as a sheaf is from the seed. It's not a coincidence that he was raised to life on the first Sunday after Passover, on the day of first fruits. He is our first fruits. And the reality of his resurrection is the biggest reason that we have to be grateful and thankful to God tonight. Paul explains it like this. He says, For as by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden meant physical and spiritual death for the whole human race, for every human being that followed, including you and me. But Christ's sacrifice led to eternal life for everyone who would follow him. Not only are we raised to eternal life, spiritually speaking, but one day we'll also be raised back to life physically with new resurrection bodies. He says, just as we have borne the image of Adam, the man of dust, so also we shall bear the image of Christ, the man of heaven. One day, if the Lord hasn't returned by then, we will be raised up with a whole new body. The first fruits of the ground was the first sample of the harvest. It told you exactly what the rest of the crop would be like. And the Lord Jesus' resurrection body also gives us a very small glimpse of what our bodies will be like. Bodies that are victorious over sin and death. Bodies that aren't subject to sickness or weakness. They'll be a completely different kind of thing. They will still be human. We'll still have our individual identity. It's not as if God is just taking away who we are. You will still be you. Paul says that in the twinkling of an eye, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Philippians 3 puts it like this. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That's an amazing hope for all of us, isn't it? Especially for those of us who are older, those of us whose bodies are failing, 
Your body might be riddled with problems and pain tonight. An ongoing heart problem or cancer or diabetes or a crippling arthritis. Romans 8 says that we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Right now, we still groan. We're still mortal. We still decline and decay and die. You might have so many things going wrong with your body that it's an effort just to get out of bed in the morning. It might have been a real effort for you to be here tonight. Well, be encouraged that because of the historical fact of the resurrection, in you, at this very moment, is the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. The power is already at work in you that will transform that failing body to be a body just like his. He is the assurance and the example of what you will be. But he's also the first fruits in another way. Hebrews 6 says that he's not just our first fruits, he's also our forerunner. In other words, he has gone before us into heaven as one of us, as a man. He has entered the veil. He has gone directly into the presence of the Lord, informing heaven that we are coming as well. He has paved the way for us. Whenever Christ was received home, he was saying, Lord, the harvest is coming. I am bringing all of my people with me. And you always know by the way the forerunner is received, how the ones who follow after will be received. If one of Donald Trump's ambassadors, one of his forerunners, was sent to a particular country and they were sent right back where they came from without so much as a reception, well, you can imagine how Trump himself will be received. But Christ was received into heaven with the highest honor. He sat down at the right hand of God. And Ephesians teaches us that we've not only been made alive, and we've not only been raised up, but we're also seated with Christ. We are accepted in him. We will share in that same glory that he has. Glory that we don't deserve. All because God has accepted our first fruits. He has accepted our forerunner. He wants to be your forerunner. He wants to be your first fruits. If you haven't already done it, Tonight, why don't you trust in his blood to redeem you? Why don't you ask him into your heart and into your life? Allow him to give you a brand new future. And if you are redeemed, then tonight, please be encouraged. Whenever we're in the wilderness, whenever life feels barren and dry and it's full of fruitlessness and futility, Take hold of the first fruits. For the Israelites who heard about this festival whenever they were still in the desert, as far from the green fields as it was possible to be, this feast was the hope they held on to when their journey was difficult. 
the promise that things weren't always going to be like this. And just think how much greater our hope is. Remember his blessings and respond to them. Just lift up God's son before him. Just like those priests lifted up that sheaf. And say to him, Lord, just look. Isn't he amazing? Isn't he incredible? Look at what his finished work means for me. It means I'm accepted. It means eternity is certain. It means that life won't always be like this. Just lift him up and say, thank you for Jesus. And that's not too much to ask, is it? Just to give him the first fruits of a grateful heart. May the Lord help each of us to remember and to respond to Christ in a way that pleases him. Let's just come to the Lord in prayer as we close. Our Father, as we think about this ancient festival, our minds can't help but be drawn to the words of Paul that Christ is our first fruits. In your Son, Lord, we not only have redemption and forgiveness of sin and freedom from spiritual slavery, but we've been raised up. And Father, we thank you that in him we have the certainty that we've not only been raised up spiritually, but that one day our failing bodies will be redeemed as well. One day we will have bodies just like his, bodies that don't decay and die, bodies that won't have pain, bodies that will live forever in the eternal life of the Lord Jesus. Father, we ask tonight that if anyone here hasn't trusted him for redemption, that they would simply ask him into their life tonight. And for your people, Lord, tonight we just want to lift him high. We just want to say to you as a group of your assembled people, your son is incredible. He is amazing. We are so thankful for all that he has done for us, for all that his death and resurrection has brought us into. And Father, we pray that you will help us every day, not just once a year, not just once in a while, but every day to remember him and to respond to the blessings that we have in worship, praise, and thanks to the one who is above and before all things. Accept our thanks now in his precious and worthy name. Amen.